have a proposal I'd like to make, and I think this can transition into uh, one of the movies we're going to talk about. A social contract, right? Okay. A new social contract. I think after... Are you calling it mine contract? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think there should be a statue of limitations on liking and disliking things. Statute of limitations on liking or disliking something. And also on, on, on a statute of, of limitations on having an opinion. Okay, that's where I was going for. I thought right. you were getting something bigger. Okay. So I think, for example, I'll use liking or disliking something as an example. So I think if I say, did you like this movie, right? If you haven't seen it within the past five years, you cannot, you are not allowed to say that you liked or disliked the movie. You would have to say, well, I liked it when I first saw it, but I haven't seen it in however many years, right? Because I think you change so much, even over five years, Uh that a movie that you liked when you were 25, you may not be as hot on when you're 30, right? Mm -hmm. And I just think when people say that they liked something, they're thinking of something that they may have no connection to whatsoever, really, because they haven't seen it in 10 years, right? Yeah, I guess there'd have to be further kind of qualifiers on that. Like, how much did you like it when you first saw it? No, no qualifiers. Five years. Look, it's an arbitrary rule to begin with. Right. So the cutoff has to be equally arbitrary. Five years, no, no haggling. I don't care if it was your favorite movie of all time. If you haven't watched it in the past five years... You have to watch it again before you can say, yes, this is my favorite movie of all time. I could get on board, but we would need graphs. We need to work it out. There'd need to be age, different, different applications for different ages. Uh, yeah. I, I would How much like you a like sliding something. scale towards older. Like I would say like maybe like um, maybe like zero to uh, like 12. Like you have to watch that thing like once a year. And then like 12 to 18, that was that six years. So maybe like 12 to what, like it has to be a sliding scale to where maybe like when you're in your forties, you get a little bit more leeway, right? You get like seven or eight years. Yeah. So exactly. You're already bending the rules of your arbitrary. All right, fine. Arbitrary then five years. (laughs) I was trying to work with you. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, No, five years. I'm saying we would have to, we would have to devote like a good, you know, three months of uh, really hashing this out. To really get a full system that I think I could get fully behind. But I think in principle, you change so much. Yeah. I mean, it, between certain ages. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I was um, thinking about that is because we watched I Don't Feel at Home in this world anymore. World anymore. Has any movie grown in your estimation over time? Or does every movie just slowly get worse and worse in your mind? Um, it has to be the worst, right? No, that's not true. Maybe Nothing. Zodiac, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in since we what lived at Smyrna. How many years ago was that? That was over five years. So I don't know. I feel like your your brain is like has some good topsoil my, and then some no, rocky. My brain is my brain <laughs> is slowly pushing everything out. Yeah, no, and no. If I don't work actively to keep it in, 
like the core of my brain is built around an emotion of like f you right like right. get away from right. me that's the core that is the peanut of my brain yeah you were born wanting to get out of that womb and get away from everybody yeah, exactly so i have to work to keep that stuff in so 5 years for me is a big right if i haven't seen something in 5 years yeah. who knows how i but, feel about but, it but if i'm talking about like or dislike your brain is like some good topsoil with some rocks underneath <laughs> Uh-huh. And anything that initially like takes hold, construction debris, right? They those you bags. Like, exactly. That you're like, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. I can I can trust that that is that's the flower at full bloom. Yeah. And not only will you not remember it in a little bit, but I think that right before you fully forget something, if I say, "Hey, man, what do you think of that now?" You're gonna be like, "Yeah, worse than when I first saw it." Yeah. And then it'll go into nothing. I think that's safe to say for the most part. But at the same time, I think the things that I do truly like, I keep up with. Like, I- I'm not letting those slide past. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Zodiac's a good example. I love Zodiac. Or, I should say, what do you think of Cowboy I Bebop? loved Zodiac because I haven't seen it in over five years. What about Cowboy Bebop? I loved Cowboy Bebop. Uh-huh. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in a long time, longer than five years. So who knows? Who knows how I feel about it now? I'm sure I'm I'm absolutely positive my reading of Cowboy Bebop, a Japanese anime, <laughs> would be pretty different as a 34-year-old father of two than it was when I first watched it when I was 19 years old. Mm. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's that fair to be like, yeah, I love Cowboy Bebop. Well, I haven't watched it in 15 years. I mean, I've watched it since then, but you know, more you get the idea more or less. I'm dreading our future conversations. <laughs> so the reason I bring that up is because we watched, we both watched I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which is on Netflix, directed by Macon Blair, who is the star of Blue Ruin. And <clears throat> so given, given what I just proposed, right, uh-huh. our new social contract, or maybe just our new podcast contract, and knowing, or maybe not knowing, my feelings towards, uh, my feeling, my feelings are negative towards one of the movies I'm about to make a comparison to. Tell me if you think this is accurate or not. I would describe, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Which is there any way we can like abbreviate that? I don't home like um uh, don't feel. Okay, is there? Okay, tell me if you think this is accurate or not. Don't feel to me. I don't like that anymore. Yeah, there's nothing. You can't. You can't abbreviate it. Okay. To me, it's a, it's a, it's a mashup of Blue Ruin and Napoleon Dynamite. I already disagree. Okay, but that's how I. That's how I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Like you have this revenge thriller right which is like blue ruin which in and of itself is just a ripoff of no country for old men or insert cohen cohen brothers movie here right with characters that are maybe one notch below the goofy characters in napoleon dynamite outside of uh melanie linsky who is pretty plays it pretty straight yeah she plays it straight but you have the Nunchuck wielding, uh, ninja star throwing, 
uh, super Christian uh, working out Elijah Wood, mm-hmm. right? Who yeah. He's just like over the top goofy. Yeah. I loved him in it. Yeah. But it's like, so it's like, and I, I don't, I, I hate to pull the same card as with like La La Land. But it's like, I feel like if you like the humor in Napoleon Dynamite, you'll like the movie. I don't like that humor. I don't find the goofiness funny or endearing. I just find it like goofy un- unappe- un- and unappealing. Um, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but I felt like there are moments in this movie that connected with me more than the characters. And there's something in the way that Elijah Wood plays the character that to me sh- like proves why he's like, why I would consider him a good actor. Because there are certain people that play quirky as just like, I'm goofy, you know? And then there are other people who you can see are making decisions on how to present themselves in certain ways. And Elijah Wood, I think, actually adds some depth to his character that isn't really there in in Napoleon Dynamite, you know? In that, it's pretty much like, I'm going to feed my llama. Watch me go do it, you know? and laugh uh-huh. um but in this there's actually a dynamic between them so at the end it actually like i it actually connected with me like i didn't want him to die in the movie you know and uh and that to me is is a is an acting decision that, that that's working the film itself i think also has some really great moments uh that elevate it beyond a pejorative kind of like Ah, just another quirky indie, you know? And I would put up there the uh <clears throat> the house confrontation. Um where they get Melanie Lin- Linsky to come back mm-hmm. and hold up the house. Yeah, I have to say You fell asleep. I fell asleep a couple times. I knew it. But my wife <laughs> was pretty quick to wake me up. The only thing I missed was when she got taken hostage, mm-hmm. that's the only thing I missed. All I remember is, and that that's where when I remember is her hitting the guy in the neck with something, and my wife asking me what was that, right? And it turns out it was like the plaster she made, the plaster mold she made, right? Right. I remember that through a haze of sleep. And then the next thing I remember is asking my wife, how did she get back in this house? <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't see the death of one of the main. No, I characters. saw all the deaths. You saw a guy get hit by a bus. Yes, I did see that because she said, and then he got hit by a bus. And then I said, Oh yeah, I remember him. I remember seeing that, but everything in between that and her standing in the house is is it's not i was it's gonna hazy. say it's foggy it's just not there it's it's not even there <laughs> uh yeah so i mean i i think to me if and hey if you weren't you know connected with it um that's cool but i think if, if somebody is actually kind of intrigued by the movie i think it pays off pretty well all the way through in terms of how it starts off the character work and I think the set pieces are really great. Like I love the whole ending chase scene. I thought was, 
you know, really fun. Yeah, see, it's just too much. It's too much for me. It's just too over the top. And the goofiness really is really what, what turned me off, I think. And, and it just seems like... To me, it, it's telling that there are so many... I don't know. It just is. It's more reliant on the quirks and the set pieces than it is the characters themselves. And like to me, it's it's just so obvious that all of these movies are ripoffs is negative, but for lack of a better word, ripoffs of Coen Brother movies of mm-hmm. No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. But you know those movies work because. Like, they're, like, I don't know. They're just, like, well-developed characters above everything else. It's, like, I mean, the 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 first thing you see of Elijah Wood is, I can't even He's remember. walking his dog. Right. Who but just took a dump in the yeah, yard. Yeah, yeah, And he's, like, drinking a red soda pop, and he's, like, and he just is, like, he's just, like, a, he just is an over-the-top character before he's anything else in the movie. And I um, so I was immediately disconnected because just like this is a quirky indie movie. I mean, that's it, it may not it may rise above that, but it has all of those trappings. Yeah. Loud yeah. and clear. Yeah, it has the trappings, but I think it actually has some skill behind it. Sure. And, and that and that's I, I don't mean to say any of this to say like it's a bad movie. I mean it to say like it's not for me. Like this mm-hmm. stuff doesn't resonate for me. I'm not interested in a, in a movie. I think all of the acting is fine. The the directing is great. All of the acting is great. Like um some of the like the um the broken fingers reveal oh, yeah. was great. It yeah. was like gross, but it was done yeah, really well. Good. But overall it just I don't know, it just didn't do anything for me. And the other question I have with this and with Blue Ruin and I'm assuming with Green Room, which I refuse to watch. And other movies of this kind is what is the deal with the hyper realistic out of nowhere violence? Like, what is the point? Because it's just gross. And I don't know what the point of it is. Well, I think outside of like a Quentin Tarantino esque, like, I just want to make the audience squirm. Well, I think you're, you're right to compare it to Coen Brothers. I think the Coen Brothers use their violence deliberately. Right, and, and the violence in No Country is disturbing. Yes, and... And it's gross. And it's edited. They don't show you the final shootout in No Country. Yeah, but they show you, they show you uh, Anton Sugar strangling a guy no. with handcuffs. Yeah, and, and they show you the floor, which is something else right. that you, you just don't think about in, in a violent act. It's like, yeah. let's pause and take a look at what this struggle affect, like, what does it look like if we actually took a step back and away from it and consider it, right? <clears throat> That's what the Coen brothers do with their violence. They pull you out, they make you consider it, they make you think about it. And so no country, the whole movie is built as a commentary on movie violence, among other things. So at the end, you don't get to see the final confrontation. And as an audience member, you're left going like, Ugh, that's why didn't you show me that? Mm. It's like, well, you knew what was going to happen, you know? Right before that, you see Llewellyn being like, I'm coming for you. Like, he has that movie moment of like, 
I'm bringing hell with me and I'm getting my revenge. Mm-hmm. Next scene, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, he's outmatched. Like, he's not Jason Bourne, you know? Right. And for us as the audience, it's like, why'd you want to watch that? You know? Why do you want to watch a, a character get shot and killed? Mm-hmm. Let's just, we'll just show you what happens to him. And I think that's brilliant, right? And I think that that is why. That's what distinguishes a Coen Brothers movie, is they are operating on, you know, everyone's talking about Trump-like 3D chess, right? That's the mm-hmm. analogy. Is he playing 3D chess? How much? It's like the Coen Brothers, you know, cinematically, they're, they're playing like 3D chess. I mean, their movies are doing a lot uh, at once. And their use of violence is intentional. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's disturbing. even in their comedy. Um, I'm thinking about uh, Burn After Reading. Mm-hmm. You know, that had some really disturbing violence. Right. Uh, that's kind of my point. It's like these other movies have lost yes, the intention yes. and they're just taking the disturbing aspect of it. I say all that to get to the part where I think these are people trying to reach for that and at most, maybe somebody saying like Tarantino might say that he's trying to like shake the audience up a little bit, mm-hmm. right? He's just, he's just trying to get a rise out of them or, um, or get under our skin in some way. I, I think the Coen brothers would be doing something different. I think sometimes people get caught in the middle, right? They both want to shock and shake you a little bit, but then they also want to, through it, be like, hey man, violence is real like as much as you want to in a film be like show the guy get shot with a shotgun like i want to i want to see someone you know get their neck broken Mm -hmm. right uh the reality of it is disturbing so let's if we show violence let's show violence let's not give people what they want and just be like here's a bloodless kill you know here's jason Bourne smashing somebody with a book and smashing their head in. But you just see him like hitting somebody with a book and then you don't see like a caved in head at the end. Mm-hmm. Which like that's that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um I will say that I really liked the uh there's a shot at the beginning of the movie where uh it's after her house has been broken into and she I think it starts with her like seeing the silverware is missing and then the camera pans to the hallway and then you just see her like out of frame grab the knife from the refrigerator and then she circles back around the camera and comes in from the other frame. That shot I really liked. Yes. It stuck with me for some reason, but yeah. I thought that was really well done. But other than that, like I said, the, 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 the character stuff, it's just is I don't know, the quirky stuff, I couldn't get past it. Okay. Do it for me. I could. I liked it. I thought I thought Elijah would pulled it off. I had a technic a technical question for you. Uh-huh. You watched the movie. You watched the movie on Netflix? Uh-huh. On your Xbox? Yes. Were there two aspect ratios? Huh. Not that I noticed. Because when we watched, there was two tiny black bars at the very top. And then there were also the black bar, like the regular black bars that weren't as black. 
No, that not from that like I the frame. It was so strange looking. Yeah. Like it didn't look the picture didn't look like malformed or anything. Right. But there were definitely two sets of black bars. My only guess is that you were dreaming. <laughs> Could be. So we also watched Get Out, Get, a movie that we both liked. It's in that uh, fertile topsoil in your brain. Although I don't feel like I have much to say about it. I mean, I liked it. There's, I, I'm a little, I was a little like, I didn't really care that much for some of the, the ways the some of the humor was implemented or the way the movie kind of wraps up at the end. But I think overall it's really good, and and I enjoyed watching it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was a never a moment where I was like, there was never a, even a moment where I was like, oh, this is just bad. Or like, yeah. I don't like this. I think I was a little more wrapped up in it than you. Uh, it, it elicited some vocal reactions from me that I wasn't intending just because I think, I think Jordan Peele represented a sensibility in horror mm-hmm. that I, that I share almost completely. Mm-hmm. I love horror movies. I and I wouldn't even I don't even think this is a horror movie really. Right, right. Because I love horror movies, but also if you look at like my favorite horror movies of all time, I've talked to other people or I've gone off of other lists where people are like best horror movies of the last decade, whatever. And those are movies that I tend to not enjoy. Like yeah. the French film Martyrs right. or Inside, Inside, which I got you to watch, right? (laughs) Like, everybody's talking about, like, those are the great horror movies. They're just disgusting. They're just disgusting. They're disgusting. And I I don't don't have an affinity for that. What I do have an affinity for is for a film that plays your emotions and can elicit a response from you. And horror movies can do that, I think, better than any other genre mm-hmm. um and they can do more while they scare you than other movies can if i'm gonna cry and i turn on a movie that's gonna make me cry i know what i'm gonna get right like mm-hmm. i don't know what else they can get me to do but to feel terrible about mm-hmm. what what's going to happen to the right. character if you feel like crying you're just gonna put on marley and me and <laughs> right and lay a rep right uh yeah, like I watched The Light Between Oceans. And uh-huh. you know, The Light Between Oceans is a beautiful movie. Was that the um Michael Fassbender movie? Yeah. Here's here's a quick <clears throat> about the stolen kid or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Here's a, a quick side tangent that I wanted to get your your take on. Uh I kind of wanted to like uh let's let's take uh in in your right? Mm-hmm. The director of uh Babel of the Revenant. Revenant, that's what I was gonna say, but I wasn't sure. Um 20, 21 grams. Twenty one grams. And he makes Birdman mm-hmm. and basically just savages superhero movies. And uh is basically saying, you know, superhero movies are not art, they're trash, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that's a sentiment that's, that's pretty easy to find amongst 
some director. Right. Especially, you know, kind of Academy nominated mm-hmm. directors. Blowhards. Blowhards. And, uh, but then you look at the films they make, right? Right. And the films that they make are, here's four stories of a wife who gets a random bullet in her. Yeah. Just and absolute misery. Just misery, right? Here's a mute, you know, uh, student who's being kind of sexually exploited. Mm-hmm. Watch that, you know? Or The Revenant. He had his main character ride a horse off of a cliff and survive. <laughs> that's what superheroes do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's what superheroes do. So, yeah. But because it's in a different package, it becomes like noble or okay or, you know, more uh, digestible. Yeah. The same thing with like freaking dramas where it's like, listen, I, I'm not about Flash, okay? I'm about this main character who has an incestuous relationship, gets pregnant, but loses the baby only to then find the man of her dreams who gets sent off to war and comes back shell-shocked and abusive. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so basically you're just like melodrama, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're in the swamp of melodrama, casting stones at the swamp of, of uh, superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Like, but you're playing in the same freaking swamp. Right. You know what I mean? You're just trying to manipulate people. Um, Stuff like it drives me crazy. That's like the light between oceans. Mm-hmm. Like it's like beautiful movie, but in the end, you want to watch people be miserable for a while mm-hmm. in a completely improbable situation that would never happen. Doesn't really make sense, but mm-hmm. let's go along with it because we want to make you cry. You know, then then you'll love you'll love that. Right. But with Get Out, what you're able to do is manipulate emotions uh get people like at least me right like get me kind of like excited and interested in your film while also doing a bunch of different other stuff right so like i'm having a good time with the movie i think we both can agree that as a basic film it's enjoyable to watch you know you're gonna Mm -hmm. sit down you're gonna have fun Mm -hmm. with with the film then on a second layer he is in a way that I haven't experienced before. And, you know, I saw Moonlight. I saw Kicks. I love both those mo- movies. Mm-hmm. But the kind of black experience in America is something that I never saw articulated the way that Get Out did, where basically the main character is experiencing something that's very, like, disturbing and off putting. And every level of like, okay, that's funny. And then that is downright like scary. Mm -hmm. But whenever he tries to tell someone about, like they don't understand. Mm -hmm. He can't, cause he can't explain, like he can't be like, no, see, I talked to this person and they gave me this weird vibe. You know, they're going back. That's you. That's on you. They're Mm -hmm. fine. They're okay. But he knows that it's not, but he can't say it. And I was like, that is an experience that finally, like, I broke through and helped me, like, understand. Like, when people start saying, like, 
the black experience in America <clears throat> is it feels like this, this, and this. It's so easy for people to get call out the details and be like, well, as a white person, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. That we don't have poverty? You know, it's like, no, that's not what they're saying, right? Mm-hmm. It's the Black Lives Matter movement, right? right? Black Lives Matter then gets twisted into, well, what, all lives don't matter? It's like, right. that's not what they're saying, right? right? Like, they're trying to articulate something. Like, can you shut up and, like, <laughs> listen to them? Like, just <laughs> take what they say for what they're, how they're saying it and right. just maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, Get Out does that perfectly you know it totally made me think about that and be way more sympathetic in the sense of i need to be careful that i don't try and like be like hey i get it you know and be like "Mm, i i i probably as much as i think i get it there's enough there that i don't get that i probably don't need to you know be pontificating endlessly about it about like you know, the black experience in America, I probably need to like shut up and listen a little more. And if somebody says something that I don't agree with, I probably need to give them the benefit of the doubt and at least maybe explore it from their perspective and see what truth is there rather than dismiss it outright. Because I feel like it's, again, this other term that I find mind boggling is actually a real term that I've heard people use reverse racism. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like what, what are you talking about? You know? Um, so yeah, it's doing that as well. And then the filmmaking, which my connection to horror and and the way why I feel like, you know, Peel and I look for the same things in horror movies is the way that he set up some of the details of his story, Mm -hmm. not just the people who are involved, like the opening abduction. And then he is later referenced you see him in like the big party scene, mm-hmm. but it's not drawn attention to, but everything that he's showing you is purposeful. And so when they hit the deer and the police officer comes and you have that extended scene of like where the officer's like, I want to see his ID. Right. Um, at first you're like, Oh, that's his, you know, like social justice statement on police right and that scene could have been it yeah that's it that's all it did but then at the end in in my head and spoilers we i mean here we we always talk spoilers yeah but at the end when you know this whole family's dead and he is dealing with you know his ex-girlfriend I'm already in my head like, how is he going to explain this to police, you know, mm-hmm. with, with her dad? And then he stops choking her. And then you see the police lights and you're like. Your heart drops. Dude, your heart drops. Because mm-hmm. you go back to the police officer right. that came for a deer that didn't have, they had nothing to do with that deer, right? They did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And yet this police officer turned it into a tense situation. Mm -hmm. What is he going to do now? Right. He's going to come out guns blazing just on the look of it. Mm -hmm. And your heart sinks. And then the door opens and you see only when the door opens, it's his airport. It's his friend. Mm -hmm. And then your freaking heart goes like through the roof, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and it was all seeded so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like going back to the deer, the way that he shot and framed it, the way that you saw the lights approaching, the way that he built that climax to be about all that death and how everybody is kind of, it's going to be his word mm-hmm. um, and how no one's going to believe him. And then the final reveal like that, that is what I look for in a movie. Yeah. And just that he pulled that off so perfectly. That's the primary example, but there are other things that he does throughout where you're like, man, you, you set that up so well. And, uh, I, I that's why I think get out is, you know, I, I had, I think I liked it more than you did. Yeah. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I, I mean, <clears throat> like I said, there are a couple of things that I didn't really, didn't really, I don't know. Some of the humor stuff I didn't really care mm. for that much, mm. but uh, to, to your point, uh, just now I, I would say, I think it's, it's even more interesting that in our theater, when it's revealed that it is his friend that shows up, everyone started clapping, right? right? Like you hear all these people behind us start clapping and they're clapping, not because the shot, the cops showed up, but because it wasn't the cops. Right. Which I think is, is also very interesting. Um, and yeah, it's done. It's done really well. I mean, the, like I said, the stuff I didn't really care for. I mean, it's just like minor stuff that I think honestly has more to do with, um, like, key and peel and like jordan peel and like their sense of humor than anything i don't think it's like something that i could really fault the movie for uh-huh um but did you see the news that he's said that he has like three more socially conscious or whatever you want to call yeah them, he called them like movies, societal demons right that he wants to make within yeah. the decade mm-hmm. and um I went back and listened to the Champs episode with Jordan Peele. And I don't really like him that much. He's pretty <laughs> pretentious. Um, he just seems kind of, uh, I don't know. I just didn't, it's a boring interview to begin with. And he just is kind of, he's a little, uh, he's just a little too much for me. But there's some stuff that, that just like, I just didn't really, like, like I said, some of the humor stuff, I feel like, um, towards the end of the movie, you spend like a pretty extended amount of time with his friend, mm-hmm. which was just kind of jarring considering you just spent the first hour and 20 minutes with this one guy. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like 15 minutes deep with what has been a complete side character. Right. Um, so that just threw me off a little bit. I mean, yeah. I understand the need for it, mm-hmm. but it just kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, you know, the one pushback that I've heard is kind of his friend going to the police as being like a, like a scene that goes on maybe a little too long. But again, I kind of liked it again because it, it underscored this idea of, <clears throat> okay, the one thing that I, that I will say too, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this. So I may be uh, running on my own little conspiracy mm-hmm. Theory train of thought. Sure. But uh, I think that I've heard, oh, was it John Ronson? No, I, I can't remember who. But basically, they're, they're talking about uh, conspiracy theories, and especially in like the African-American community, right? And 
one of the defenses that I heard was like, you know why like conspiracies are kind of big within the African-American community? Why Kyrie Irving believes the world is flat. Yes. And they were like, look at our history. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? I get, I get that. Like with that history, you, why wouldn't you believe right. that like the earth could be like yeah. what I've been told might not be the truth. Like, yeah, plain and, simple. And that to go on a total tangent, that was the one that was what really made me sympathize with Kyrie Irving, who look, believing the earth is flat, I think, regardless of your background or upbringing, is pretty ridiculous, right? Like, you have to make a lot of logical leaps to claim the earth is flat especially when you're recording a podcast in an airplane 3,000 feet above the earth. Around and you can look out your window and see the curvature, right? But um, when, when, someone, when a reporter followed up with him, he was like, um, his, 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 his defense was basically like, look at some of the stuff they taught, they taught us in school that is complete lies. Like, why should I believe anything? Right. Why should I take anything at face value? Yeah. And it's like, I real I can sympathize with that. Like, I, that makes sense to me. You know, like, the earth being flat is pretty ridiculous, but I understand the motivations behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I, that, that's something where I did like this fact that his friend was like, on this sex slave thing. Yeah. Like, that, that was his thing. <laughs> Yeah. And he was not ever going to shake off it. And yeah. at first you think like, oh, he's making a joke. But then you slowly realize he's like, no, that's his best theory, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and then I also like the fact that he's not far off. Like, like the, yeah, the, he's the, not totally wrong. Yeah, he's not totally wrong. And that, and that to me, again, is like part of the, the commentary. And I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. So maybe I'm going way in depth there. No, but- I, I did have a question about it more kind of closely related. I had a question about it. My, well, my question was basically, so towards the end of the movie, it's revealed that, um, I I don't know if it's given like, uh, as hard proof of motivations or if it just is suggested or if one character suggests it, but the, the basic idea is that, um, these old people, are choosing only black people because they want to be black. And I was wondering if that is, if we're supposed to read into that idea, if that is supposed to be like a legitimate critique on the older generation or on older racists, or if it just is kind of like a, you know, like a, a, plot convenience you know what i mean Uh uh-huh i i like i like the uh reason given in the film which is basically like people want it for different reasons and he kind of goes through like some people think it's fashionable yeah that's true yeah that's true and some people uh think it's genetics like for the athleticism exactly it's it's straight up racism you know um and so, yeah, I do, I do like that because 
uh, again, that's how, and we've kind of talked about it here too, that's how the culture gets co-opted, you right. know, by people who are looking to exploit it or, um, or who just think it's fashionable. Did you hear Rachel Dolezal change her name? name. I didn't see that. Yeah. Anyway, side, random side note. <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Sure. Uh, just another lady co-opting culture. But, uh, I had another question about the movie's um, sort of uh, inner workings. What was the deal with the camera flash? So what specifically? So the the camera flash would like reset them. Yeah, it kind of like brings them out of their mm-hmm. zone. It brings them from out of the what's it called the, the sunken, sunken place. Zone? Sunken place. It brings them out for a brief second, and it brings them back to their original themselves. Like, is that? A commentary is that just a plot convenience? Okay. What what was there an explanation for that that I missed? Here's another thing that that kind of, um, that kind of got me. Uh, so you know, again, we we've mentioned we like doing this because we like talking about movies and kind of a more relaxed kind of long term form. But there are so many people that I think are like trying to get stuff out there so quickly in response to movies that sometimes they can get details wrong. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that I've heard some people knock the film about that, again, kind of drives me crazy when I feel like the answer is there in the text and people just clearly misinterpret it. But then they, they'll go on talking or they'll like ding a movie for the thing that they've misinterpreted. Right. So first I heard it said like, so the... uh grandparents are the servants like mm-hmm. that's the life that they wanted right you know and they're like happy with that and i've heard some people try to explain it away and be like well probably when other people are there they act like they're servants right but when people aren't there then they're just normal but they also in the movie say that uh katherine keener's character just finally perfected the method Mm-hmm. Like this seems to be something that was in the works for a while, but I got the sense that the grandparents were the first test subjects mm-hmm. on this new method, which involved, you know, hypnotism and brain surgery. Right. right? Um, and that they were getting slowly better and better, but in all of the, the people so far, they all had problems. Like you could see the war in all of them mm-hmm. a lot clearer than if this was a, a procedure that had been like refined. Like they were just now on like the tipping point, mm-hmm. getting working out the kinks and getting it better and better and better. Um, so it would make sense that in these early stages, you could have things that they didn't foresee that could affect the hypnotism and, the brain surgery. Mm-hmm. A flash, to me, seems like something that could easily be overlooked, where they think they got everything good, but are you really going to check, like, oh, let's see how a flash of bright light affects them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I thought that that was great, again, how Peel seeded that idea in, that what would make that guy, how are you going to make that guy turn? Well, 
uh, this guy might want to get a picture of this guy because he looks crazy. Mm -hmm. And he wants to send it to his friend. Right. But it's flashy. That is like thinking through the situation and not creating a moment of like, oh, he gets bumped on the head and he freaks out, you know? It actually like builds on the story. It Mm. actually like deepens it, furthers it. Um, Same thing with people complaining about, uh, so what, she keeps a box of pictures of all of her like turned people. Mm -hmm. But if you realize what's been happening with the... uh, with his phone being un, you know, unplugged and stuff that Georgina has a little, there's more of a struggle going on in her. Mm-hmm. And so when he first wakes up in that room, that door is open and he's like, looks at the door. He's like, why is that open? I remember thinking too, like, why is he so weirded out by that door? being? Mm-hmm. That's Georgina, like trying to draw his attention to that box of pictures. Mm-hmm. And who knows if that's where she kept the pictures. Like that could be Georgina too. Right. Putting the pictures in there and opening the door, trying to send them a signal because that's, that's how she can get through still just little things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I think all the answers are there in the text. If you just want to have the movie explain itself mm-hmm. in terms of any deeper meaning, why, why use a flash? I don't think I, it didn't jump out to me there, but in the text of the film, yeah, it totally I, makes sense. I didn't think about it until after the movie was over. Yeah. And I was just, and once I thought about it, I, th- I was wondering if I had missed something, if I had missed something. I mean, that makes, it makes sense in the movie. That make explanation makes sense to me. It didn't stick out to me in any way as like a glaring plot hole. Right. I just thought maybe I'd missed something. Yeah. No, and when it happened, I thought, man, that's brilliant, especially because he brings it back at the end. Mm-hmm. And all, it all sets up, like it all works together. He doesn't set up a detail that he only uses once. Right. He'll set up a detail and try and cycle back on it. Yeah. Um, I know you had a question about, uh, the very end, right? So at the end where, so when he starts, um, what's his character's name? I can't even remember. Yeah. Now that you asked, I'm like, but when the boyfriend starts choking, uh, Allison Williams at now, I thought it was in the house that it happens, right? It's outside. Oh, she she tracks him down. Remember, he's driving with right. uh, Georgina. But she he, wakes up in the car. She swerves into a tree. Then Allison Williams sicks her grandfather mm-hmm. on him. And uh, so they're out on that long driveway. Uh, he flashes the grandfather. Grandfather shoots Allison Williams, right. shoots himself. Then he goes over and starts choking. What? No, he doesn't choke her after she's been shot. Yeah, he does. What? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. No, he was choking her when Oh, that's right. And then the That's right. And then the and then the his friend shows up. Yeah. That's right. But I thought she was smiling when he because he also starts choking her inside the house. No. Yes, because that's when she's eating cereal and drinking milk from a straw. Inside the house. He escapes. Then she comes out of the burning house with a gun. No, no, no. Way before that. Before, he, before they plan the surgery. When it's first revealed. Before, when she's like looking for the keys. Oh. Uh, well, yeah. He gets, he, gets, he gets on top of her. And then they do something. And he falls off or something. Right? Right. It's the sound of the key. 
<clears throat> right. That's what I was thought. That's what I thought you were talking about because I no, thought she started smiling end. then. I don't. I mean, at the end, I would just assume that it's because the she thinks the cops are pulling up and she thinks she's. No, see, I I remembered it happening before, before the cops come, before anything. He's I choking her. She's shot, and at first she's like, no, 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 and she smiles right as he's about to completely finish her off. I have no idea. I, I got the sense that that was kind of the final racial commentary on like, you are screwed. You are going to be responsible for this whole house of dead white people. Mm-hmm. And now you've choked me and there's no way oh, right. for you to get away from that. Yeah. Right. You choked a white, a white woman mm-hmm. and she realized like he is sealing his fate mm-hmm. by choking. Yeah. And she's a complete sociopath. Right. So she's kind of objectively looking at the moment and being like, yeah, you're a stereotype right now. You're, uh, <coughs> you're stealing your fate. Yeah. Yeah. Like that choking. makes sense. I just yeah. don't, I just didn't remember it happening like that. Um, a similarity that I saw between this and La La Land, not a similarity, but, uh, kind of a s- small little nitpick I had with both was I-, I didn't feel like either relationship was uh had 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 been going on long enough to warrant the feelings that they warranted mm-hmm. right so like in Get Out so well like in La La Land right they're they're dating they're dating they're dating they're dating and it's all great and everything's great and then they have one argument right and it's over right and then at the end of the movie you get this um what would have been right nostalgic what would have been which like i said before i th- I think it worked really well but when thinking about it it had only been i think in the movie they say it had only been like five years since they broke up and in that five years emma stone had already like gotten married and she's now got like a three-year-old kid, right? <laughs> so it's like there wasn't a lot of time in that five years where she was not it already moved on to another relationship. So it seems a little strange that she would be having such a strong fit of nostalgia for this relationship that it seems like she moved on from pretty quickly and pretty well. Um, and not only that, I feel like that would have worked even better if if that if their relationship hadn't been 99% good uh and then like this 1% argument that broke everything up you know what i mean like like if the nostalgia she was actually feeling was like actual nostalgia for all the really good times they had but thinking about it in retrospect she was leaving out like all these arguments and bad times they had in reality it was kind of just a recap of the whole movie right and all it did was leave out one argument they had um, but I just feel like that amount of time didn't warrant that yeah. reaction. I feel like that might be the point though, right? <clears throat> Maybe such a brief encounter could sure. have led to a completely different life. But in get out, there's a moment where, um, they're by the lake. Uh huh. And they talk about how they've only been dating for four months. That was like six. I mean, either way, that's not a long time. And there, but he's like, but there, he at least, I mean, she's obviously putting on an act, 
he opens but he up. is like completely committed to this girl and, mm-hmm. and, she, and he's like even though he feels completely creeped out and is fearing for his life right he's refusing to leave this place without her and that to me was a little like it would have been so easy to just just make it like a year or something like just extend it a little bit like see but a little bit more than six months well what i thought was interesting was there's a scene and maybe i fell asleep in the movie although i know i didn't but uh in the trailer it didn't make in the movie and it's his friend talking to him on the um on the phone and his friend basically says outright he's like why are you going to meet her family yeah and he's like don't come back all bougie like, yeah. I remember that from the trailer. I think that's in the movie. I, it, it wasn't because I was listening for it. Because mm-hmm. I actually really like his delivery on bougie. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I would remember. But I don't remember that specific line with the, man, it's only been like six months and you're doing this. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's part of the commentary, too, of this character where, like, just like every other horror movie, he's not reading some of the signs mm-hmm. just like in the beginning where she's like my father would vote obama uh in right. in a third term, a third term yeah. it's like that's actually like a really patronizing thing to say that actually works against you if somebody said right. that in public you might be like it'd be cringy Ugh. yeah, yeah. Be like, um okay. and he's he's not responding well to all of that um if i had to nitpick something although i don't want to because i think it's a because I don't think there's anything there. It's, I think it takes away from the fun of the movie. But so if their deal is to kind of lure black people there mm-hmm. and then basically hijack them, then what game were they playing with their bigoted kind of riff? Like, is the commentary basically that they couldn't keep it under wraps for one second? Because within 10 minutes, you know, Bradley Whitford is like, so how long has this thing been going on? Mm -hmm. You know, and you're like, and and it's funny, right? But Mm -hmm. you're like, if he, if they didn't, if they wanted to keep him there, then they wouldn't try and creep him out. It could have been way more subtle. Like, like, he got to the end where he wanted to leave. He's like, we right. need to get out yeah. now. That does not help their end goal to right. make all their people feel like I have to get out because if he ever suspected his girlfriend, then he would run away or get yeah, in the car and drive that. away. Right. And then they're, and then they're, they're maybe not screwed because he might not know fully what they're after, but it's like, you're, you're raising their suspicions enough to get them. So they want to leave. Mm-hmm. That seems to be counter to what you, should be doing. It right. seems like you should be able to not say like this thing mm-hmm. or be like, we're so proud that he lost to Jesse Owen, mm-hmm. you know, it, like all well, that stuff. wasn't even that. It was right afterwards. He said, uh, he said, and he almost, he almost, he almost, he almost got over it. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, on that, I'm like, that's, that's, that is fun. That all of that stuff is like part of the fun. Well, that's the social commentary. Yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't. That's the part people want to nitpick. It's like, I think that they would have a game plan together a little better 
than being like, yeah, but and you, let's creep them right. out fully. You don't have the social commentary if he doesn't say, I would have voted that. Obama in for a third term, right? Right. Like, that's the commentary. Yeah, exactly, right. which is why I'm like, I don't even want to bring it up other than to say, like, if you're nitpicking the story, to me, that's the part of this sense. But I want all of that in there because it it is what the movie's about. It's about yeah. his experience. It's about hearing him, hearing the dad say like this, that, which is something that I've seen and heard happen in my life from other people. Yeah. And been like, oh, if you could hear yourself, <laughs> if you could just hear yourself, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I've got for Get Out. All right. Yeah. Good. I liked it. Go see it. Are we watching Logan next? I'm not. Listen out.